Hello and welcome to The Terror Test. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And as fans of horror, our goal is to weigh the merits of films based on three specific categories, scare factor, monster quality, and production, to decide whether to admit them into our sacred horror canon. In this podcast, we will put horror movies to the test to determine what to watch next, what's worth revisiting, and what to recommend to the uninitiated. Number two pencils ready, and begin. All right, so Today, it's uh, our big Hellraiser episode. <laughs> uh, what Part one of two. Um, yes. So today we're going to be talking about the first two installments as well as, is it a novel, novella? N- novella, it's novella. pretty short. Um, Clive Barker's novella, and then in our second part, so in two weeks, we're just going to draw, well, we're going to draw from a hat today from the list in the series, just two numbers, and those will be the two that we watch um, in two weeks. Yes, and I assume that we'll get to the others at a different time, but we don't want to... We don't want to get it all over with. Now we want to savor <laughs> the Hellraiser as long as we can. Yep, we just want to suffer in yes. small doses. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so we're going to start with The Hellbound Heart, which is the novella written by Clive Barker. Uh, it was published in 1986. Um, and so we're going to start with production. Production. So we're looking to see that um, just like with the film, that it's timeless in the power and effectiveness of its writing, its characters, um, its style, its structure, iconography, and the portrayal of its subject matter. Um, I mean, I just I loved it as much as I loved the first book. I would say even more um, than the first movie, I think. Yeah, to me, this is the best version of the Hellraiser story that's out there. Yeah. Um, better than the movies, better than the sequel that Clive Barker wrote. Um, it came out last year. It's called the Scarlet Gospels. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. I'll get into why a little bit later. But this this is wonderful. It was beautifully mm-hmm. written. I loved um, the opening when Frank is completing the box to call the Cenobites and the interaction they have is great. And that's not really in the movie, mm-hmm. their initial interaction mm-hmm. um, so much. And also just the way he describes the pain and pleasure that he's getting. Yes. And I feel great. like the, the vibe and the expectation that Frank thinks they're angels mm-hmm. is so much more like, I don't know, I guess more explicit in the novella. Yeah. Like, that balance exactly. He's expecting this like immense pleasure and like mm-hmm. all these great, like I said, even angelic things. But like, then it just crashes down. Yeah. <laughs> For him, and then the, you know the language and the tone of it changes and shifts that way too, which I think doesn't happen as much in the movie. Right. It doesn't have as that. There are more ups. I feel like in this. Mm-hmm. And the only other discernible difference um, that I noticed between reading the the book and re, um, watching the first movie uh, was at the end of the movie, um, Kirsty has to like send the Cenobites back to hell with the puzzle box. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the book, she leaves mm-hmm. and she actually leaves with the puzzle box. So it becomes this like temptation for her, mm-hmm. um, which I, I really liked. And so I guess it's here where I'll, where I'll talk about like 
why I love the Hellraiser story franchise, even though some of the movies don't accomplish this. Okay. So I, th- I think the Cenobites are awesome. Okay, so, um, like, so, so I see what you're saying. Like in terms of character. Yes. Well, I, I guess this would be monster quality. So we'll save that for monster quality. Okay. But I think Let's, production deserves a point. I think it's that's great. the thing. It's like as as a piece of writing, the uh, the pacing is wonderful. The plot's great. The character development is phenomenal. Uh, how do you feel about the? And we can talk about this with the movie too. But production wise, how do you feel like with um, Kirsty being not, or sorry, not being the daughter, just being a friend in the novel? Hmm. Um. It didn't really change much for me there her interaction with them yeah doesn't i I feel like it adds some complexity in the first movie making her Mm -hmm. the daughter um it makes that line between frank like come come to daddy daddy. (laughs) so much creepier but um but yeah i i it didn't doesn't make me not want to give it a point so i want to give it a point with production just because i think by itself if i gave a horror fan who had no idea the series or even just saw the movies Mm -hmm. gave them this book they would love it yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're in agreement. One yes. for production. Yes. Okay, so what about you said monster quality, so we're making sure that the monsters are frightening, clearly relate to archetypal fears and have depth. Yes, and I think the Cenobites have so much depth to Ooh. them. And they explored a little bit in the second movie, but I would even push it one step further. In the novella, the descriptions of them I don't know, were so much more vivid. For me, even mm-hmm. though they're unique and great in the movies, like in the book, and I want to say um, it's the Leviathan, Le- Leviathan character. Is she in this? I don't know who's the Leviathan character. Like the main Cenobite. It's a woman in this one. Oh, it's yeah, like the you're right. You're on right. The throne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. She's not in the movies. No. But I wish it, <laughs> that character was. Yeah. The Leviathan in the movies is that wormy character, I think, mm. in the second one. But I wish it was this one. She's like on a throne of heads. And yeah, like... that was awesome. I, I and Pinhead is not. He's he's not really in this, right? Mm-mm. It's more her. Yeah, and, and so I mean, I I love the character of Pinhead. Um, he's a great Cenobite, and so but but his absence doesn't take away from mm-hmm. the Cenobites. Um, in the book. And so, yeah, let's talk about that depth a little bit. Um, so they, they, they are priests of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're summoned by um, the toy box, the lament configuration. And anybody who is trying to open this box is looking for something more. Like, they're so desensitized to the pleasures of earth that they want more. They crave mm. more. And the Cenobites basically give it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's horrific because it's, they're beyond good and evil. They're like where pain and pleasure meet. And so it's, it's grotesque. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but they, um, they, they, they love it. They're into it. Mm-hmm. It's great. And so um, I really like that portrayal of the characters. And I, and I don't think any of the movies really pull it off as well as the book. 
they usually end up becoming the bad guys. They usually be, end up becoming evil, mm-hmm. like something to overcome instead of this like kind of trickster figure like, oh, you be careful what you wish for because you might just get it. It's, you know, we'll talk about this in the movies, but but that's why I love the, their portrayal yeah. in the book so much is because they are just like, they're, they're there to give people what they want, which is awful. And I think it has, I think one reason why this franchise resonates so much with horror fans is because like, I think we are in that role. Like we want more <laughs> and more like gore yeah, and push it violence. To the limits and the edge. We're yep. like, you know, normal movies, they don't do it for us. Like we want something more visceral. I think that's a great, and so analogy, the Cenobites, yeah give it to us like in Cenobites are like just the the genre of horror. Mm -hmm. And so there's something like, so archetypal about that, that like I relate to. Yeah. I mean, this one, especially for the novella is easy point for me. Yes. Yes. Scare factor. So we're making sure that the, um, the work has a clear intent to scare and must be successful in that objective from beginning to end. So were you scared while you were reading this? I was by some of the descriptions. Yeah. I uh, like with um, that character on her throne of heads. Mm-hmm. That has to be coming like in. There's um, just so much vivid um, and graphic description in here that it's scary for me. I, it's not to the point, though, of like in the gross out episode. It's not like making me mm-hmm. squeamish or anything like that. It's just like really vivid. Mm-hmm. Um I wish I had an example already. Okay. Yeah. The the descriptions are great. Um, especially at the beginning when Frank is meeting with them and experiencing the pain and pleasure mm-hmm. for the first time. It's, it's very visceral. Um, That's great. Yeah. Each, each encounter with the Cenobites in the novella is visceral. Yeah. Like it breaks and slows down each and every moment mm-hmm. um, that you do get. And I feel like in some of the movies, but it's everywhere in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that Frank, when he comes back, I mean, he's really creepy. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of like somebody's skin kind of hanging loosely off you um, or, or off the person that you're talking to, um, like how Frank does um, at the end. And, and that's when he says, come to daddy. Like, that's great. I, I love that. That's a great image. I think I found a good passage. Okay. So this is when the Cenobites kind of first appear and you get this image in the movies too, where like um, almost like that shutter effect to the walls where the light comes in mm-hmm. like that's in the book. And it says the spectacle of the unfolding wall had now ceased entirely. She saw something flicker across the, the brick um, ragged enough to be a shadow, but too substantial. It was human. She saw or had been, but the body had been ripped apart and sewn together again with most of its pieces either missing or twisted and blackened as if in a furnace. There was an eye gleaming at her and the ladder of a spine, the vertebrae stripped of muscle, a few unrecognizable fragments of anatomy. That was it. That such a thing might live um, beggared reason. What little flesh it owned was hopelessly corrupted, yet live it did. Its eye, despite the rot that it was rooted in, scanned her every inch up and down. Love it. That's great. I think that's when Julia sees that's Frank. When she sees Frank. Yeah. Yep. And it's great. That idea of what of Frank coming back 
piece by piece. Yeah. It was so great. So I have to give it a point. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this is definitely in the canon. Anybody yes. who is a fan of horror, um, not even necessarily, if you even hate the Hellraiser movies. Yeah. The book is great. Absolutely. Cool. So let's get into the first movie. Um, this was released in 1987, so that's a really quick turnaround. Mm -hmm. um, it was written and directed by Clive Barker, and um, it features the first appearance of Pinhead, played by Doug Bradley, um, as well as Ashley Lawrence playing Kirsty. Um, what do we think? So I think with production, again, we're looking to make sure that it has power in all its elements and it's timeless. Rewatching this... I still think it's timeless. It's, I mean, sure, like the outfits or whatever, maybe make it dated, but it could be anytime. It could be anywhere. Yeah. The production's great. The um, practical effects are amazing. Yeah. Um, they hold up well. Yeah. So I think in terms of production, it's great. I love the writing. Um, I mean, some of the, the great lines from the book make it into the movie. Um, and, and they're cheesy, you know, I will tear your soul apart or no tears. It's a waste of good suffering. Like it's so, it's so great. Um, but the writing's great. I, I love how this is, if you take away the supernatural elements, this is like a story about adultery. Um, and it's like a morality tale. Mm -hmm. And so it, it stands up on its own as as a good story and then you add the horror elements and it just makes it something that we haven't really seen before yeah and what i like about it in terms of production is that okay it stays um you know it goes for the great practical effects mm -hmm. um and it stays small in this storytelling yes it doesn't try to explain the whole universe um mm -hmm. we get that preview in the beginning of of the box and everything mm -hmm. like that to just establish um, um, where we are and everything, but it, it doesn't try to go too far outside of that. It feels like a very personal story. Yeah. Which in the second one, like we go to hell, like it's kind yeah. of out of its. That's where the franchise gets off of its tracks little a little bit. bit. But we'll we'll get to that in yeah. the second one. But production point. Yes. Okay. Uh, monster quality. So are they frightening? Uh, do they clearly relate to archetypal fears and have depth? I think they're frightening. I think they're iconic. They have depth because, like you were saying before about the box sort of representing a, a temptation or greed, mm -hmm. like like those qualities, those sins are represented physically on the Cenobites, mm -hmm. like whatever that temptation is. Um, I think it goes with the archetypal fear, too. It's kind of the boogeyman. It's mm -hmm. like it's demons from hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love it still, even though, like we were talking about before with the book, um, Pinhead is the main focus. He's still amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it's a great portrayal of the Cenobites from the book. Um, however, my, my issue comes at the end when they become the villain that has to be overcome, where Kirsty has to go around to each one and put the box back together so they'll be sent to hell. And, yeah. man, if you don't like hearing pinhead yell no at the end of this movie you're gonna be disappointed because he does it in every movie mm -hmm. and it it takes away from the character and so i think it affects the monster quality not enough 
in this movie for it to be a problem. Um, but in general, like I, I really wish that Clive Barker stuck with his original ending where they have Frank in chains and he, you know, is ripped apart and Kirsty just leaves. The Cenobites are done with her. Or are they because she still has the box? But it's yeah. a much more ambiguous ending. Um, and it was much more satisfying because I don't like to see the The Cenobites are so cool and they're brought down by such a silly little... Yeah. And that's another instance too where like it's not a practical effect in the movie. So yeah. it seems kind of cheesy. With the yeah. light bursting out of it or whatever. So that's that's my only... I, I, with with the quality i agree with you too i feel like that maybe maybe that goes more to the writing and production um i think it's, with, it's in, how in how the monsters are portrayed yeah well don't you think too i think okay so going with that idea i wanted to think that because they're demons and the trickster character they will I guess maybe they would make a deal and then not follow through with it. But the idea that she was going to kind of sort of bargain mm-hmm. with them, with Frank. Yeah. Why couldn't that just be the end of it? Right. Just Exactly. Because then they still retain their power. Yeah. Like they're, you, you know, they're, they're not doing anything that, you know, yeah. they didn't say they would do. And Kirstie doesn't have to defeat them. Yeah. Slap on the wrist and is like, don't yeah. contact us again. Yeah. So yeah. that was disappointing, but I'm still going to give it a point because I don't think it is that problematic in this movie. In yeah, future movies, we'll have to talk about. Um, so well, it sounds like we're giving it a point for that. And scare factor, um, clear intent to scare, I think, is there. Mm-hmm. Um, was it successful? Absolutely. Yeah. It's so. It's not just gruesome. That's not what I want to say, and it's not just graphic, but like. The creation of Frank, like as a monster, is scary. Yeah, even just him as a person. Even if he wasn't coming back from hell, he would be a scary character. Yeah, he is, and it's so unsettling. Um, Everything that goes on in this house is is so disturbing. Mm -hmm. Um, Even just just killing Julia, killing the men with the hammer. Mm -hmm. Like, there's something about that that was that was really disturbing. Um, and we didn't talk about her in terms of acting. She's amazing. She's in great. Both movies. Yeah. She is. Sometimes her hair's too much. Too 80s for you? Yeah. <laughs> but when it's not, she's great. <laughs> when it's not distracting. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like we have Hellraiser in the canon, which I knew going to this conversation we were going to. Yeah, full disclosure, I have Hellraiser statue. Yes, it will be the featured image uh, on this post. So yes. just take a so look at that. That's at, what John bought. Every, <laughs> with my money. <laughs> with, yeah, so every issue that I have, every negative thing that I say, I say it out of love because I, I have a Hellraiser statue. So I <laughs> obviously love the franchise, even if I sort of hate it, parts of it. <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to Hellbound, Hellraiser yeah. 2. This Which, the, I, I mess up all these titles. I don't know whether to call it Hellraiser 2 or 3, and like this one, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. That th- that's going to throw me <laughs> off as we talk about these. So can I just call it Hellraiser 2? Yeah. Or we'll call it Hellbound, which confuses no, with the Hellraiser 2 is okay. fine. All right. Um, so this came out in 1988. So this is like boom, boom, boom. 
uh, the book was 86. First one, 87. Cash cow. <laughs> Second was 88. Um, this was written by Clive Barker um, with a co-writing credit to Peter Atkins, um, directed by Tony Randall. Uh, Doug Bradley returns as Pinhead. Um, what do we think about production? Production in this one. So I want to say it in the first part, when um well, what's the doctor's name who's like Chenard. bringing her back yeah chenard <laughs> yeah that's why I no it. that's the evil doctor is that who you're yeah okay yeah yeah who's like who's bringing her back i love that part like in terms of production there are i i should have timed it but i want to say there's an easy 15 minutes when she first raises out of like the mattress where it's her just walking around and it's showing and highlighting her suit, like the, mm-hmm. the muscle and the mm-hmm. bone thing. And it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I would say it's a pretty slow start. Mm-hmm. Um, especially after having just watched the first one, there are a lot of, there's a lot of recap. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm going to make mention of that too. You could easily watch this second one without having watched the first one. Yeah. Do you think that's why they did that with so many like flashbacks and I think it hurts the pace of the movie though. Oh, totally. Why because do you think then, they did that though? Well, I think to remind people it had only been a year, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and to get a new audience. Um but yeah, I think for me it just it killed the pacing and it just it honestly reminded me of a better movie. So it was kind of depressing because nothing yeah. was happening in the first half of that movie. Or not not very much was happening um in the first part, I won't say half, but the first part of that movie other than these recaps and it's like why am I just not watching the first one again? Yeah. Yeah, cuz it just sh- totally just shows those clips. Yeah. It's not even the characters just talking about mm-hmm. it. Like, it just... yeah. So I, I think the I, reintroduction I of Julia is interesting. Yeah, I, I think her coming out of the mattress was really cool. Um, I, you... I want to talk a little bit about Pinhead's origin. Okay. Because yeah, we yeah. see that at the very beginning, and then it doesn't come into play until, like, near the end. Yeah. And... The whole time I was thinking, why? Like, why? What does this add to the story? Um, because Kirsty's story does not really parallel his. Mm-mm. And when it finally is brought up, you know, he he looks at a Pinhead looks at a picture of his former self, and it seems like he's starting to remember. But then he's killed, so like it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I think that's really weak writing and she well and even the way she finds the picture is totally random she just happens to go through the doctor's research like that binder yeah or was it, i guess it was like just a binder uh-huh. of his <laughs> <laughs> box research um yeah that it was a little i mean that's definitely spotty in some of the writing and and this i was debating whether this counts for production or monster quality but the portrayal of hell I find to be problematic. It seems like there are no rules. Like things happen that make no sense and are never explained. Like when when Kirsty 
sets Frank's picture on fire? Why does he? Why why does everything go up in flames? Mm-hmm. Um, why is there that that vortex? Um, what the hell is the ending about? Like, I'm still I'm still lost on it. Like I said, I think it. Had they gone in and it was more like it is in the novella, mm-hmm. where you don't have like that wormy creature chasing her, but it's like this like empress of hell um, ruling over them and you know looking for new mm-hmm. Cenobites. Like I, I thought what, that idea was cool. Like kind of not only the origin tor- story of Pinhead, but you kind of get that with the other Cenobites as they transform back into their former selves. Yeah, especially and with then, the chomper guy who's like a kid. Yes. Like that's so I know interesting. What that is. Yes. But it's it's just wasted because that's all we see. Yeah. And they could have done I mean, why does the why does the doctor when he gets transformed into a Cenobite, why does he have to be like a puppet to the I don't know what the tentacle thing. Why is he more powerful than the others? And yeah, it, I just, I find that very disappointing because there's so much potential there. Yeah. Like if, 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 it just gets muddied. If they had Kirstie's story parallel Pinhead's story, like that would be really interesting because then in that confrontation, um, they would be able, you know, Pin, when Pinhead says, like, oh, you really want to be here because we keep seeing you, then we would get some more insight into Kirsty and, like, okay, maybe mm-hmm. she really does. Maybe she's not just a victim of circumstance. Yeah. Um, but maybe there's the no curiosity there. is getting the best of her. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it doesn't seem like that way at all. Like, there's no character growth. No, she just, it, it just hinges on she wants to go save her dad. Yeah. And it's just disappointing because the rules are so clearly established in the first one, mm-hmm. and then they just get all messed up in this one. Yeah. Um, that it just seems really weak writing. And I, well, and the only explanation to it was like I kind of made this note in my head, like when it's when the doctor is what is his name again? Chenard. Chenard is like doing the open brain surgery mm-hmm. stuff, and then he's talking about like the mind is a labyrinth. And he, like, says that literally, and then not too long after it, they're in that labyrinth. They're walking through the tunnels with yeah. the girl who can solve all puzzles. Yeah. Just so like, convenient. That's her only purpose. <laughs> yeah. Is she solves puzzles. Yeah. And, and, and I this, guess that's what the, the doctor got her for that reason. But Yeah. But, like, the the version of hell that's in Bill and Ted's bogus journey is, like, so much better mm. and so much scarier than what we see yeah. in this. I just, this reminds me, like, part of the shots there where you see, like, the, um, whatever that is, the box kind of changed into a diamond yeah. shape. So, like, all big. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, like, in Ghostbusters, and, like, <laughs> it looks like Gozer. <laughs> when you open, it's, like, that weird pink sky. Yeah. It's, like, stone paths. That's what it looked like. I So it just, it, it seems to just remind us of better movies. But does, okay, yeah. So does... Does that negate some of that stuff that happens at the beginning? Like I said, in terms of production, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just stuck on how amazed I am with the practical effects. Well, effects is you know that's only part one of it. part of it though. That's only one part of it. And, and to me, that part was like pretty creepy, pretty scary, and so but that falls more into scare factor. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Well. Yeah. I think with the writing, we're gonna have to not give it a point. It is just all over the place. It is. 
Yeah. And it can still be an honorable mention, depending on what happens in the next two categories. <laughs> yeah. Let's look at monster, monster quality. quality. Uh, so the film's mon- monsters are frightening, clearly relate to archetypal fears, and have depth. I, I think you're right, though. I feel like Julia, as a monster, she kind of like becomes like the new Frank in this one. She's pretty scary, mm-hmm. I think, as a person. And we get, having seen the first movie, we kind of see her transition and change into that person. I feel like those and the archetypes are still there. But when it comes to like what happens to the Cenobites and then the, when the doctor turns into a, a Cenobite like, and the worm thing, I just did. Uh, it becomes very. It be- becomes very black and white. Like they are evil. Yeah. Kirsty is good. Whereas you know, I mentioned earlier, I love Cenobites when they're beyond good and evil. They're you know their own thing, um, and there's just not enough there for me. I think of you know what makes the Cenobites great. You feel like the. Places where it's not so great outweigh. Well, I, I think this is tough because I love the Cenobites. They're in this movie. Is their portrayal in this movie, does it hold up? You know, is it still quality? It's still archetypal. They still have depth. Like we... Like you said, even though we don't get the full picture, we get that snapshot of like... Yeah. And we get a little bit of the origin story of Pinhead in the beginning, even though... All right, I'll, I'll give it a point. I'll give it the benefit. Yeah, I feel now. like all the things that we like about the book and the first one are still there. Um, it's just kind of muddied by some of those other production things. Mm-hmm. And it, it, does, it, it had a lot of potential. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that's the thing too um in terms of story kind of going back to production is that i love that the sequel just picks up where the first one ends i wish it became its own thing because i I love how okay so if you see the first one as like this morality tale about adultery okay Uh what's the second one about it's a morality tale about Finding your dad. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> like the overreaching of science a little bit with the doctor. Almost. But but it's just not strong. Like the themes, yeah, I gotcha. the capital T themes aren't there. Yeah. I agree with that. But again, but that's but the monsters more production. That's that's yeah. production. Monster quality. I'll I'll give it a point. Scare factor. Clear intent to scare and must be successful in that objective from beginning to end. Is it scary? The first half kind of is that the doctor scares me in the beginning until he gets transformed. When he yeah, gets transformed into so the lame. demon, he's not scary anymore. When he's just a doctor, <laughs> his he's little, totally scary. His, his little like scorpion from Mortal Kombat there you things. Go. Yeah. Um, they're ridiculous because sometimes they have razors. Sometimes it's just a human finger yeah. like beckoning. <laughs> it's like, just use your finger, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I think in, is it in Frank's lair where, um, she, she walks by like these morgue slabs and each one comes out like there's a woman underneath yeah, the white the sheet and they're moaning bloody, and, yeah. and then they become bloody. Like, I thought that was such a cool image. Yeah. Like that was really cool. Um, so I think there are moments. Is someone, 
who has not seen this before, if, if they're going to watch this, would they be scared? I think they would just think it was silly. It's as a movie by itself, right? Because mm-hmm. that's yeah, how we have to. We, we have it. to. Yeah. Is it scary enough? It has creepy moments, but I don't think I could. It's not a total success in no. the scare factor. Not from beginning to end. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I can't give it a point. So it doesn't. It's not even in honorable mention. <laughs> yeah. But as we're gonna find out as we watch the other sequels, mm-hmm. they're. It's been a minute since I've seen some of them, but in my mind they're all kind of duds. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I can't wait to rewatch them. I can't wait to re rewatch them and put them in the rubric. So sounds yeah. like Hellbound is not getting in. No. Uh, but the Hellbound Heart is in our literary absolutely. canon. Hellraiser, the first one, is in our movie canon. So are you ready to Yeah, let's draw. Um so we're going to draw right now to determine which which of the sequels we're going to watch. You pick one and I'm going to pick one. Okay. <laughs> space, so space, space, space. All right. So one of the ones we're going to watch. <laughs> Go ahead. I think we're both disappointed. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. Um, we're going to watch the ninth installment, um, Hellraiser Revelations. <laughs> Dang it, I just watched that one. Uh, it's all right. Is that the one with Adam Scott in it? No. No. Is no. that the eighth one? No, that's number four. That's, that's number four? That's Bloodline, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, my hell, uh, three, Hell on Earth. <laughs> all right. Oh, man. <laughs> Wait, that's the, oh, that's the one with, like, the CD guy it's in the it. It's the CD guy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. So well, it'll at least be fun. Yeah, but be we'll fun. we'll come at it from a fresh perspective. Yes. Uh, we'll try not to let our personal biases. Again, I I can't explain why I love this franchise so much, but it's there's something about it that is great. Yeah, and they become I I think especially in this third one they become like these anti heroes. That I mean, people yeah. who love the franchise start to root for them, um, not as villains but as their heroes. Mm-hmm. Um. So that'll be exciting. Um, and then we'll we'll post those in two weeks. Other than that, anything else? This has been the terror test. Yep. And uh, if you want to check out more of our episodes, you can see them at unoyasolstice.com. E-U-N-O-I-A-S-O-L-S-T-I-C-E. Also check out the Outrider podcast uh, for interviews with aspiring writers and published authors. Okay, the test is over, pencils down.